And welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down. We are your hosts. I am Steve. He is Wally. He is David. Before I toss it over to the boys to see how their weekend was, we want you to know this episode is brought to you by Tabbies.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com. Make sure you just promo code football for 20% off that order, as well as free shipping. Boys, week 18, finished. A lot of fun games that we get to watch this weekend. But before we dive into football, how are you guys? Well... I am all right. Couple thoughts uh, before I guess I'm ready to get rolling on the show. So first of all, good news, because last week it was a little bit of a somber show, like coming on the heels of everything that happened on Monday night. But DeMar Hamlin is back in Buffalo now. That is unbelievable. Who would have thought that we'd be here a week ago? That's just phenomenal. So happy for him. But then on the negative side of things. I don't know about you guys. Thank God for the playoffs because, first of all, from a personal aspect, the three of us, like us, had brutal weekends, as we're just so used to and accustomed to at this point of the year. But then this last week, 18, remember when we were growing up and you'd play like football or baseball, basketball with your friends, and it's hot in the summer. You've been playing for like 90 minutes. And then you decide you want to get a drink and you get those stupid barrel huggies that are basically straight sugar that you pull off there, the flavored, I can't remember, the red jug, the orange jug, purple jug, and it's just straight chalky. That was what this was this weekend where, yeah, it was football technically, but did it quench the thirst for football? Like, not for me. It was just bad product all the way around it. Outside of maybe a couple of games like that, like the Seahawks Rams game, we'll get to. Uh, I really think that's all I can think of off the top of my head. Green Bay, the Green Bay Detroit game is really good, depending on what side you are. But yeah, outside of a couple games, I couldn't agree more, Wally. How are you guys doing? I'm excited for all the bets I made to fail me tonight in with TCU Georgia. Ooh, but you I'm make? doing great. What do you have? So I made two bets. One. One was free. One was an odds boost on Max getting more than a touchdown and a half. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah. So, like, I got – if he gets two passing touchdowns, I get 80 bucks. And uh, I've got – I took TCU plus 13 and a half. I'm a little nervous about that one. But I'm kind of hoping they stay somewhat close. I'm just really worried that we've seen now with the college football playoff since its inception in 2014, we've never had just good football throughout. And the fact that we had a great couple semifinal games would lead you to believe with history as an indicator tonight is going to suck. And if that's the case, I just don't want us to look back and this be like a 45 to six Georgia national title game, because we've had such a great playoff that it would feel really It'd be a bummer if we got robbed of a good game tonight. If it's a blowout, I'm thinking it's going to be like 45-24. Like, I think it's going to be in that realm if it's not close. So do you think Max Duggan is going to be throwing two touchdowns regardless? Yeah. I just – I don't know how else TCU scores against Georgia unless it's a passing touchdown. Like, let's let's be honest. That's a a great endorsement. I'm going to throw 50 on that over one and a half right now just for you, David. Love that for us. Misery, misery loves company, you know, just in case that goes that way. Has there been any of us that has had a good moment 
in 2013 for sports? Because I can't. It literally started at midnight for me. It's one thing after another. Somebody had a winner. Any of us? For what? Anything in sports. My teams can't win anything. It's amazing. uh, That time I felt great was preseason. So... I'm not going to feel whole ever again. That I mean, that's the thing for David and I, a little bit different for you, Stephen, because you were playing for something yesterday. But this is arguably my favorite day of the NFL season every year, David, is because now I don't have to worry about it for six months because I'm just so tired of getting drugged in the media and disappointed week after week. This is one of the best days of the year. Well, now this is when you start getting all that hope back and you're like, oh, well, look at all these pieces and these moves that we can make. If anyone is excited – for the NFL offseason to start right now, it's anyone who's a Chicago Bears fan. Well, as they should be. Packers fans. But for Chicago fans, number one pick, most salary cap in the league. The legend like, Lovey Smith. The legend Lovey Smith might be coming back. I don't know, but you can – they're going to trade away that number one because someone's going to want it way more, and they're going to be able to drop back and get the player that they want. They're going to reset the, the markets for players because of how much salary cap that they have. We're going to make the NFL hell next year. It's exciting. This time of year, this is where Bears fans and the people that are top 15 picks that David and I are so used to being a part of, this is where you're right. We talk ourselves into it, but naturally bad organizations like the ones David and I root for, we get to the last week in April, and all that excitement is zapped away because we'll screw up the draft, and then it takes us about a month and we'll talk ourselves back into the players that we reached on, the Alex Leatherwoods of the world. And you build yourself up all the way until about October, and then you can finally see it in front of you five games into the year that you're still worthless, and it's time to look forward to next April. Spoken like a true Raiders fan. Oh, how great was that game on Saturday? Jared Stidham just could not get it done, could he? It doesn't matter. Let's start with the negatives in football. The Black Monday that it is today, Cliff Kingsbury, let's start with him, fired. And you know he wasn't technically fired, but GM Steve Keim, he steps away after his health issues in the last month or so. It feels like they were probably going to move on regardless. Let's start with the Cardinals before we look at these two individuals. Where do you even go from here? Because a start in 2021 of 7-0, 8-0, whatever it was, you feel like you were the highest, like the the potential is through the roof. And now a little less than 16 months later, and it feels like you have to completely tear it down again, doesn't it? Yeah, and it seems like Vance Joseph is going to be the favorite to land that head coaching position. So hiring within, which is – a huge question mark. We saw what he was quote unquote able to do or lack thereof when he what time there in Denver. Was it Denver or yeah, I'm thinking of uh Anthony and Lynn for the Chargers for some reason. So oh, because he's black, be... Steven. Canceled. <laughs> he was the he, around the same time, defensive coordinator, also had that same attribute. So I guess uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess I am canceled for the most part. Unbelievable. Um, I don't even know where they begin, but to your point, they started 7-0 last year. Since they started 7-0, they went 8-19, and including an early playoff exit to the 
Super Bowl champions last year. Steve Kime steps down. Don't forget about them firing their offensive line coach after the Mexico City game here for I don't inappropriate sexual misconduct with, you know, a woman in a bar, local bar, whatever it may be. Then you have Steve Kime stepping down. The Kyler Murray drama, he's yelling at his head coach. He's all the offseason stuff leading up to this year. Now he tears his ACL. This team is in shambles compared to what it was 16 months ago. David, what do you make of this? Is this more of a Cliff Kingsbury problem, an organizational problem? What do you do if you're Arizona? I really want to take the Skip Bayless take and just, like, say DeAndre Hopkins is a cancer to teams. Oh, that would be such a Skip take. I love that. Yeah, that's like – I. That's it's a Skip Bayless take. I don't believe it, but it would be really fun to take that stance right now. Um, Anyways, I don't – man, I think it's a combination of problems. It's the team building – from the GM and it's a head coaching problem. Like I, I don't really know what the issue is. You have talent on that roster. It's not a lot of talent. Like there are a lot of holes on a lot of different parts of that roster, but then there are parts like the wide receiver room and the quarterback room. And you can make an argument that they should be a lot better than they are, but I don't know what the issue is, but to your point, I feel like maybe it is time to break it down to the studs and I don't want to say rebuild, but, you know, rethink your, your team build. I have to kind of wonder what's next for Cliff Kingsbury, because like, is he going to stay in the NFL and take like an offensive coordinator position or will he go back to college? Phenomenal segue, by the way. Potentially a Michigan replacement when Harbaugh leaves. I don't know. The only NFL head coaching job I could see him being even considered for is the Texans because they couldn't find their ass if their head was up it. But I I don't know what's next for him. All right. Hot take as an Ohio State fan going off of what you just said. I don't even think it's hot, actually. I would love Cliff Kingsbury to take over the Michigan job because he just doesn't, first of all, seem like a fit in like the cold big 10 you're gonna have to play big boy football because that's kind of the recruits you're gonna have to get to compete at a place like michigan i don't think that he would fit there and i i know that i'm i'm like a constant cliff kingsbury hater but can someone tell me where the appeal is for like what has he ever accomplished whether it be the college level or the pro level except be a man rocket good looking loaded head coach that has an amazing home for drafting, apparently. But I don't oh, know he, what this guy's done. He coached Pat Mahomes. Exactly. Congratulations. <laughs> he brushed that's, shoulders that's re- with the great one. Yeah, and like what? I mean, that was with a couple of years, right? That was his college coach, and he lit up, and, you know, we saw what Pat Mahomes is. And there was good spurts of what Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals and that offense were able to do once Kyler was 100% healthy, but – we know what their lackluster second half of the seasons look like. Kyler can never stay healthy. Feels like the last three years, the dude's not playing in the in the final three or four games because he's always hurt, or they're maybe saving him for the playoffs. And the only thing that he does is just collapse year in and year out. And it took up until last year for people to really realize how bad that is. And then you mix that in with the Call of Duty. Oh, man, the, the Cardinals really never stood a chance. So perfect fit. Back to your to your question, Wally, or, or... – you know, why you'd want him to go to Michigan because he doesn't fit there. The only reason I say that is because Michigan, if they lose Harbaugh, is going to want big name coach to replace. Like, we're going to go back down the cycle probably of them finding a coach, no matter who it is. It's going to be back to a, a shit program until they find some guy. But 
I just think that that would be like the perfect, they would, they would look at Cliff Kingsbury and be like, you coach three amazing quarterbacks in college. Like you're a perfect fit for us. But in terms of actual perfect fit, probably the Pac-12 somewhere. I don't know where, but out there where the division's starting to get a little bit more competitive and USC is bound to be a playoff team soon enough. It's probably the Pac-12 where you can play an air raid offense. It's a good guess too. It's, but I just keep coming back to the fact that since they started last season, eight and zero or whatever it was, including the playoff loss, they have gone eight and twenty-one. That is just not going to get it done at any level. And for a large periods of that eight and twenty-one, the offense has been terrible, and a lot of that was with DeAndre Hopkins. I know that that little stretch where he was hurt last year or suspended this year. That is going to weigh you down. I get that. But if Kyler Murray is the generational talent that the Cardinals are betting that he is, you need more, period. We can neglect, before we head off to our next head coach firing, dude can't win at home. They've won one game in the last year and a half at home. You can't have that, especially with that fan base and what the Red Desert looks like. Great point. The next head coaching, and surprisingly the only other head coach firing that we have here, Lovey Smith, the back-to-back Houston Texans go one-on-one with their head coaches this year. And whoever's going to pick up this team is actually not in they're, – they're in bad shape, but they got the number two, number two overall pick. I want to say they're top seven or eight in salary cap. We have a very, very young roster, but with a lot of hope, a solid 2022 class to build on. And we'll see, but I've already seen what D'Amico Ryans and either Raheem Morris or, and I can't remember the DC of the Philadelphia Eagles. Those are the guys that have been getting a lot of traction here for this job so far, but who wants this Houston Texan job? No one on earth should period. (laughs) Dude, David Carr should come back and coach him. I mean, honestly, that would be about as good as you could probably do right now in Houston. It's a dumpster fire organization. First of all, it's, it's like, this is this is Browns-esque from like 10 years ago. Like this is just a move that is is setting your franchise back without you even knowing it. But like, you know, I hope they have a coach in mind and I hope they're ready to commit because if I'm interviewing for that job and everyone should still interview for that job. But if I'm interviewing for that job, I'm I'm literally looking down and I'm going, all right, I want half the John Gruden deal. I want five years, 50 million because you're basically like make them commit or make them pay significantly for firing you. Like, I, you know, I just don't know how else to do it other than like being like, yeah, I want five years or I'm not even considering this job and a significant amount of money because they're going to have to pay it if they fire him. And they, yeah. And that's exactly what Lovey Smith's going through. He signed a four year contract here in the off season. They're going to pay him for the remaining three years. Talk about living the life. It's a bit mixed, though, because this has a lot of ramifications that go beyond the obvious. And I know that people kind of roll their eyes and get tired of talking about the Rooney rule and like race and sport with hiring and stuff like that. But David Cauley was hired. He overachieved. We talked at length last year, Stephen, about how it was it was almost closer to being, in in our opinion, in the mark for coach of the year for what he did in Houston with how bad of a roster it was last year, then get fired at 14, 12 and one. You follow that up where it sounded like in the off season that Cully was basically hired as a sacrificial lamb, just as a bridge so that 
after a terrible year in 2021, they could hire the coach they wanted. Then what happened? Steven Ross and the Miami Dolphins thing happened, and there was a lot of blowback and speculation that the Houston Texans were using these coaches as stopgaps to get to a Sean Payton or a big-name coach. So they hire Lovey Smith, last year's defensive coordinator. It immediately got rid of all of this. Like the people worried, were you just doing this, like hiring a minority coach to elevate the team going forward? And then Lovey Smith gets hired. It, it quieted down for a little bit. You follow that up with firing him after the one year. I mean, we see one year firings from guys like Nathaniel Hackett and Urban Meyer. Those make sense. Beyond that, to fire a coach after one year, there needs to be some kind of malfeasance. There has to be some kind of like legitimate grievance that you have against the coach that for clear and obvious things to, to get him fired. Instead, it's like this, and it's it feels dirty. It feels calculated that it, it was these guys never had a chance, and they were looking for another name, a bigger fish in the offseason. And Look out, Houston. I don't know who the hell would ever want to undertake that right now. To your point, everything you're saying just about Lovey Smith, they they turned around and did it to David Colley the year before, back to back. At this point, who whose job is safe? The GM's job shouldn't be safe. I don't know what I don't know what the McNair family is doing. They got a clean house from top to bottom. If it's on the field, off the field, operations, scout team, get new janitors. I don't care. You need to flip up everything in that organization right now. That's an interesting point because right now they have draft picks galore. And so it's actually an appealing job if the team's willing to commit three years to you. I don't know what, who the GM is or, or whether they're good or not, but they have a boatload of draft picks. The answer is no, by the way. I'll give you the name in a second, but he sucks. Okay. If and he you, looks really uh, weird. His picture looks like a, like when you get the mail or when you get like a little slip of the mail, it's like, hey, you have a predator that's living like in your neighborhood. Like that's what this guy looks Nick like. Nick Casario. He was like a quarterback oh, coach in New Patri England. Yeah, yeah. Patriots guy. Yeah, he sucks. Anyways, uh, <laughs> so if you clean house and you fire him, you've got suddenly a very appealing job for both a GM and for that GM to find a coach, in my opinion. But do they do that? I mean, you're getting no, a not GM. It's, you know, they're, like, they're stuck in the trash part of the organizational history. It's, it's, they're going to screw this up somehow, but I'm just saying, if you play it smart, you find a new GM and you get a new coach who aligns with that GM's beliefs, whether it be analytics or, you know, God forbid a Gettleman approach. I don't know. It's an appealing job, but again, you got to get people to commit. So are you going to get the organization to commit? Yeah. It's just hard right now to answer a phone call from a GM that's about to hire his third head coach in three years. Uh, yeah. It's hard to get in bed with that person. Bill Belichick, unlike these other guys, and unlike Nick Casser Nick Casario, or however you say it, who left the Patriots. Casserole. Casserole, there you go. The Bill Belichick-led Patriots will enter a 24th season with Belichick at the helm. We don't know yet. At least I haven't seen if there has been any announcements, if there are other coaching staff hirings or firings in New England. But with New England going back to Bill Belichick for a 24th season, is this just strictly to get him to shoot his record at this point? 
Or do you think there's more at play here? I think he would need at least two seasons to break Shula's record, right? If I'm more. doing the math correctly. More. more? I thought I he was only bet. like six, 16 games or well, 18 games. Like that. 18 wins if you include playoffs combined. He's at a um, 30-game difference in the regular season, and then he warps Shula in the playoffs. So if okay. you're doing combined, he's only 18 games behind or 18 wins behind. But if you just do regular season, he's 30. Damn. Well, you know, you know how they're going to look at it. They got to do everything combined. So combined, I think he can knock it out maybe two years. Maybe maybe if you get like a 9-18 and 18 in the playoffs and you can really get that, that other win to kind of push it over. But Bill Belichick, just keep the man there. What else is he going to do? Just stay home and be grumpy, hang out with this really cool dog that drafts teams for him or drafts players for him. But it's okay. He'll be back. Tom Brady's going to come back. Gronk's going to come back. They're going to do a fair world tour here together. I don't think he's going to retire. I really, like, I don't think he's going to retire soon. I, I kind of don't get the vibe either. He's kind of like Nick Saban. I think he, I think I the I moment think he, he quits, it. he'll just die. Yeah, I, I really think he just enjoys it. And even though he's old as dirt, and he doesn't look it, one. Like, I mean, he looks old, but isn't he like 70? And he kind of looks like he's in his early 60s or something. He's a healthy, for like whatever his age yeah. is, he's healthy for his age. Yeah, he looks he's younger 70, than he looks like a 50-year-old. But, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think he – like, I think he actually generally enjoys it. And I don't think there's been – even though he's had some bad seasons recently without Brady, I don't think there's been writing on the wall that's, like, you know, Kraft wants to get rid of him. Like, there's no writing on the wall there. There's no writing on the wall that he's kind of, like, you know, walking in all depressed, kind of like, yeah, you know, this is the farewell tour. Like, I don't really want to be doing this much longer. Yeah, I think it's just kind of – I think we're going to probably hit, like, another five years of Belichick, if I had to guess. And, I mean, he's still keeping these teams competitive with everyone seemingly else in the division better than him outside of the New York Jets. I mean, I think Miami – Miami can split it. Buffalo is an obvious, but there's there's still competitiveness, even with Cam Newton at quarterback. He had Mac Jones leading him into the playoffs last year. If you take Matt Patricia out and get another play caller, that could be a game or two difference. And maybe we're talking about back-to-back playoff um, returns here for the Patriots with Mac Jones. I, that could be a stretch, but – you're going four and 12 okay that's one thing right and they'll just kind of let you rot there because you're bill belichick you brought everything to this organization the dude is still putting up solid season yeah eight and nine wow as teams like ours at least you guys eight and nine you you die for eight and nine years some you know sometimes bill belichick that's just casual especially with that roster exactly i i mean you said, Matt, Patricia, and that's the, the, the kind of bridge and circle this whole up and we can tie it in a nice little bow. Matt, Patricia is the writing on the wall that we've heard from Robert Kraft. If there was even a 2% chance that they could move on from Belichick this year, the writing on the wall has been that people upstairs, which is the not-so-clever way of disguising, Robert Kraft is slipping to people in the media that if Belichick doesn't move on from Matt, Patricia – then there could be problems. And Bill Belichick is going to, I think he understands, especially after this year, this was as dysfunctional as a coaching ranks has been in New England in 25 years. And he understands that. I I think that he was probably a little too loyal to Matt Patricia and to his boys. They've been together for a long time. I think this year is going to kind of, finally get it through bill's head 
that if he wants to be great even one more time and get one more crack at a Super Bowl, it's going to have to be with a much different approach than we've seen lately. Before we throw it into the email, there's been rumors that Bill O'Brien might be making a return up to Foxborough. That, that could change it. Maybe flip Matt Patricia back into something defensively. Bill O'Brien was a great coach. He just was the worst GMs outside of maybe Dave Gettleman. Amen, David. <laughs> Amen, David. With that, let's get right into our – this could have been done in the email section. All the games that really didn't have any playoff implications. No one wanted to watch it outside if it was your team playing. First game that we had on here, the Cincinnati Bengals win 27-16 to 16 over the Baltimore Ravens. They just said, fuck a coin toss. We're just going to take it here. Cincinnati rolled Baltimore, but something that caught my eye is, and it's not a big deal, but Burrow went below 60% completion against one of the worst secondaries in the NFL, and he had some bad misses. You know, ultimately, he led Cincinnati to a big win, whatever. And it's not that big of a deal because it rarely ever happens. I just kind of, you know, is there something the Ravens did? to give him looks that he wasn't comfortable with. Those are the things that I would love to look into, but don't have time to. Um, but I, it's the only thing that caught my eyes. He really didn't play all that well for how, how hot the Bengals have been lately. This game meant next to nothing. And you could really feel that for both teams. I wouldn't sweat it all about Joe Burr, David. It was a really weird week from Monday night football on. It's hard to prepare after something like that happened. I'm willing to just look past this one game because it really was one game and just assume Sunday night that they are going to do the same thing to the Ravens, but Joe Burrow will look a little bit better. The Kansas City Chiefs played at Arrowhead West on Saturday afternoon and beat the Raiders 31 to 13. That's all I have. What do you guys want to talk about? Rest in peace, Las Vegas. Just that's it. Rest in peace. They fucked themselves at the end of the season. Rest in peace. Enjoy misery. Sorry, Wally. Why are you apologizing to me? I don't watch football. Again, misery loves company between you two. But how Josh how Josh McDaniel's name wasn't on Black Monday today was beyond me, to be to be honest with you. Uh, or anyone in that really in that front office. Just this season was bad. I'm glad that it's over for you. Uh, Kansas City's looking good. Pat Mahomes is doing Pat Mahomes things. And damn it, they got the one seed now. And every game, except for the AFC Championship game, goes through Arrowhead now. The Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin, and the Pittsburgh Steelers, I should say, yet to see a losing season under 16 seasons. 28-14 to 14 victory over the Browns there. AccuSure should still be Hines. Uh, for some reason, I always want to call your defensive coordinator Joe Barry, even though it's me. See you, Joe Woods. How do you like uh, your DC getting gone out of here, David? And what are your parting words for your season Cleveland stinks that's number one overall Watson looked like he took a step back that was not fun it's you know I'm growing concerned that Watson isn't going to get back to the guy that he once was and the team threw a nuclear bomb on a Super Bowl window but you know neither here nor there we'll see what next season looks like I guess but with Joe Woods now gone I'm just hoping that the Browns hire Jim Schwartz or whoever their guy is ASAP so that we can focus on rebuilding the front seven and God get me Javon Hargrave and Darren Payne in free agency ASAP. I don't care what the cost I've seen what the worst defensive tackles in the history of football look like. I would like some talent there next year. So you said Jim Schwartz and didn't really list anybody else. Why so specifically him? 
because I'd rather have him than anyone on the list. I don't want Brian Flores because I don't want the distraction. I know that like I I I think Brian Flores is a phenomenal coach. I do. I just don't want the distraction of a guy suing the NFL and probably being asked about it by the Cleveland media seven days a week for 52 weeks a year. I just, I want nothing to do with Brian Flores. And then I don't even know the other guy I heard uh, rumored to to get interviewed. I don't blame you, first of all, because after what happened last offseason in Cleveland being a media circus for six months, the last thing you want to do is do it again. You need to provide some normalcy to the locker room because while I too, like you, am growing a little nervous about the play of Deshaun Watson, we need to see it next year. If we're in the third, fourth week of the season in 2023 and he doesn't look good, then I'm panicking. But until then, not worth my time. And this Brown team, realistically, he's not worth my breath either. But I tell you what, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, this Pittsburgh Steelers team, adds a few pieces on that offensive line and look out AFC. You have another headache of a team to at least deal with because this team is pretty deep at most positions and ended a season on a very high note. The Jets didn't. They go to Miami and what really was two teams that just couldn't figure out the quarterback position this year. One of their seasons was mercifully ended with (laughs) Joe Flacco at the helm while Skylar Thompson gets a win, and leads a drive to end before one of the worst beats of the season, by the way, gives us an 11-6 to final. I mean, the only thing that stood in the way of Pittsburgh running the gauntlet and getting into the postseason was the Jets not having an NFL quarterback, guys. Worst beat of the, I would say of the year, but people who bet against Mississippi State and took whoever a plus three and a half had a pretty bad beat. But for me to win that bet, Mississippi State, and just to watch that unfold was horrific. So. Kudos to Skylar Thompson, third-string quarterback leading the Dolphins and in the playoffs. Fuck Joe Flacco. Still better than Zach Wilson, though. True. <laughs> hey, that, that veteran, better, he, he better wash the hell out. He's coming for him in practice. <laughs> He's going to make his life hell this year. That's what it is. He's going to make – yeah, I feel bad forever who that guy is. Look, this game was a horrific showing from both teams. I, if Tua isn't playing for Miami, I expect them to get blown out in the first round of the playoffs. Like, and it not in a good way. It's going to be a, a blowout, but how do you get blown no. out in a good way? Just curious. At least maybe your rookie quarterback looks good. Something happens that gives you some hope, but you lose 41 to 14, but like you have one 50 yard pass. It's like gorgeous in the air. And it's like, we can build yeah. on this. Yeah. That's, you know, coming from a Browns fan, that's ho- there's there. If there's some hope in what happened, even though you got sauced, then you know that's that's a good blowout. You got you uh, got to find the good and the bad. I got you. Yeah, exactly. But uh, no, I you know another shit show from uh, Tampa Bay at Atlanta, losing uh, seven or thirty to seventeen. I kind of find it highly concerning that Tom Brady and the starters played for any amount of time in this game, and they got their shit rocked by Atlanta. This. Bucks Cowboys matchup that we're rolling in on scares the shit out of me. And I probably won't touch it with betting because the Bucks have potential, but they're shit. And, you know, the Cowboys are have a great defense, but like ride high or ride low on deck. And that whole game scares me. The whole game. Correct me if I'm wrong, either one of you, because I'm not gonna hand up. I know that football podcast, you shouldn't admit that you didn't watch much of a game. Hand up. I did not watch much of this game. There was no reason to, obviously. 
But Tom Brady, from what I read, he was in long enough to set NFL season passing records, and then they pulled him. When I looked at the box score, we didn't see a lot of familiar faces. Was it mostly just Tom Brady, or did they play other starters in the first half of this game? Because that's if, if Tom Brady, I get it. But if you're playing other guys, there's no purpose at all. I have no idea about the first half. All I know is I know Blaine Gabbert was in there. Kyle Trask was too. No, Godwin was playing, I think, all game long, if not a majority of the game. I don't know. uh, Mike Evans might have rested, but I know that at least two of their three receivers, Engage and Godwin, played the whole game, if not most of the game. That's bad. (laughs) That's really bad. I, I just don't, like, if you're playing those starters, like, why? Like, what's the point? No, I mean, if Todd Bowles didn't have Tom Brady as his quarterback, that he would have been fired today. Todd Bowles is a shit head coach, and I think that this kind of, this is not what determines it, but this is just a factor that goes into it. I have to hand up again on myself because I was such a big advocate for Todd Bowles, not only this cycle, but when he was hired by the Jets too. He's a phenomenal football coach. He's an unbelievable defensive mind. He's just one of those guys kind of like Dick LeBeau where he's a defensive coordinator and that's all he's supposed to be. There's nothing wrong with that. But I I think people are seeing that Todd Bulls just isn't got the medal to be an NFL head coach. The only thing that we should have been excited to watch in this game and it worked. Thank God. Desmond Ritter is continuing to improve and it at least gives the Evan Desikers and the Atlanta Falcon fans of the world, something to hold on hope to because there's not, you know, too much exciting things happening in Atlanta right now. That's a fact. But so last thing, did you actually look at Tom Brady's stat line? Because it's if it was anyone other than Tom Brady, we'd be shitting on them the whole week long. I just you, saw what he broke the records for. And see, he's like particular he went stat 13 line. of 17 for 84 yards. Well, I mean, think about this. All right, spin zone. If Mike Evans was sitting. You're really throwing to Russell Gage and a kind of hobbled Chris Godwin. You're not like you're going to be throwing kind of underneath passes a lot. I mean, that's been the recipe all year. 4.9 yards per attempt. I'm with you. I'm with you. Believe me. That was all strategic pass attempts and completions on that, David. He needed to just get his money. Honestly, there's a chance of that too. Great point, Stephen. But, But it's horrific. Not as horrific as the Chicago Bears ending their season on a 10-game losing streak with Minnesota coming into their building, winning 29-13 to on the season finale here in Week 18. Thank God I did not throw money on Nathan Peterman to throw an interception because it was Tim Boyle who ended up throwing them, and, they, and he did twice. We already kind of alluded to here at the end of the beginning of the show, Chicago does lock up the number one pick, most cap space, heading into the offseason here. That's going to be a fun project. And I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life now. For the next decade, I think I'm going to be miserable. Welcome to Loss of Down, Stephen, where the the three hosts of the show are permanently supposed to be sad, and that's where we're well, at. It's kicking in. It's oh, it it here's a benefit for you, Stephen, because this first like three or four years, it's really going to hurt. But after that, it kind of is like a flu shot, where no, you're not excited to go and, and take your medicine. But you get there and you get the poke in your arm and you're like, well, it's over, I guess. We'll do it again next year. That's but what it, it is out, being a fan of these teams. 
But if there's no expectation, then I'm not going to I'm not going to feel that way. Now, if there is expectation, that's how I'm going to feel. That's my point, because all it is is the expectation is we're going to go. We're going to get the shot arm and we're going to go home. That's it. There's no good expectation. It's I'm going to feel a little pain, but it's all good. I'll ignore it after that. But the Bears obviously lose this game, but there was no chance in hell they were going to get the number one seed until with less than a minute left in the game, the Houston Texans down by seven in Indianapolis on fourth and 20, Davis Mills at quarterback. He's scrambling around at the 45 and he has a pseudo Hail Mary, but it's all good guys. Nothing to worry about. Indianapolis Colts safety. He's at the goal line, basically waving at like a fair catch. He can see this thing coming, jumps up, but he mistimes his jump. And what happens? A ball just falls into a literal bread basket. And who was it? Do you guys, did either of you remember who it was that caught that? I want to say it was their tight not end. Yeah, I mean, it's the Texans' tight end. So probably not something you'll probably remember his name. Anytime Jordan soon. Atkins? Yes, it was Atkins, I think, because I think he caught the two point conversion as well. He did, I know he caught the and two he got, point. He got another touchdown, too. Jordan Aikens, best tight end in the league. Everybody disrespecting him, not us. We'll blur all that out before. But it's just, it's the most Jeff Saturday thing. I wrote it down here. Do you know what Saturday is in Spanish? It's Sabado. Because from now on, I'm going to deal with Saturday football is Sabado football because Jeff Saturday is a worthless head coach and has no business ever getting a job like this again. Period. See you on ESPN next month. Bristol misses you. First off, going back to the last game, Minnesota's still a fraud bet against them against the Giants because I'm doing it. Anyways, anyways, I understand the Texans really can't actively lose. Like, I understand you can't tell your players to go out and lose a game. But holy shit, did they fuck themselves. Maybe not in a horrific way. Maybe they don't lose out on the quarterback they desperately need to draft. But... I mean, I, I, this is something I would have written for the Cleveland to happen to the Cleveland Browns. Like, this is like something I would have written to happen to the one in 15 Cleveland Browns. You know, you don't go 0 in 16, but, you know, you won a game and now you don't get the first overall somehow. I could literally only write that for the literal bottom, rock bottom part of the Cleveland Browns franchise. I just like, what an empty self, like self destroying win. Well, if, if Houston feels better, speaking of your Browns, they do have your first round pick. That's a top six pick or like a top 10 pick, I thought. Something like that. No, I'm thinking of Denver. Think it's like 12 or something. You guys are 12. Like, I know it's not yours now. Uh, it might be higher, but they, they have seven. Ours eight. is seventh. The Raiders is seventh, and we're what? Uh, That's such bullshit. Seven? I cannot believe Green no, Bay did it. Get two first round picks from you and have seven and have your pick right we're now. We're seven and we're seven and ten. I want to say we're somewhere between eight and twelve. Yeah, like somewhere in that range. Well, I've lost track of all of our losses this year. I can't even if we're six and eleven or seven and ten these days. Chicago, Houston, Arizona, Indy, Seattle, because it's Denver's pick. Detroit, because it's LA's pick. This is awesome <laughs> podcasting. Raiders <laughs> seven, Falcons, Carolina. The Eagles 10 because it's the Saints pick. 
and then 12 for Houston because it's the Browns pick. So Ooh, the, I was right the first time. Holy shit. Yeah, that's yeah, but, but Houston has that to at least fall back on. I know it's nothing, you know, it's not a top 10 or even a top five pick. But, you have but two it, the, actually, it's a great 12. pick. 12 is a great spot. You can literally – you can pick your best player available because it doesn't matter what position you pick, you need it. Uh, and you can save your number two overall for your quarterback, and then you can come back to 12 and you can pick best player available. It's not bad. You we'll know, this reminds me – that number one pick. I texted you both this during our two-week – we'll call it a sabbatical. It makes it sound like we're, we're smart people. But mm-hmm. – our two-week sabbatical over Christmas break, and I brought up that Houston drafted Derek Stingley before Sauce Gardner. How is that not being talked about more? Because that is that is so bad. Because Sauce Gardner, David said this. I, it's going to sound like me first saying it, so i got to give credit where it's due. He's got Darrell Revis written all over him. This guy is insane, and they took – Another cornerback before him. That's unreal unlucky. That should honestly remember we were talking about the Texans GM earlier. That's great be a point. Fire, that's a fireable offense. That's a that's a legitimate fireable offense. You got a clean house on Houston. I think we've we've talked enough about it. Jeff Saturday agreed. Cena. Houston chokes away the number one pick. Those are all my notes. Uh here's my notes. Carolina won against New Orleans Saints 10 to 7 this weekend. What do you guys have? Those are my notes. All I have is Sam Darnold looked like the worst quarterback in NFL history. Five completions on 15 attempts. Been in the league for five years. That's unacceptable on so many levels. He's a third stringer at best in the NFL going forwards. I. That's all I got from this game. This was a this was a uh, NFC South nightmare game. Didn't watch it. This was an NFL game, and it happened. So Arizona went to San Francisco where J.J. Watt played his final game in the NFL. One of the most dominant defensive players of our generation, guys, when he was at his peak, I mean, you can truly say he's one of the best defensive players of all time. He had 20 sacks in two separate years, I think. He's unbelievable. And like a lot of people, I think you would say Aaron Donald's the other defensive player in our generation of like growing up and being at that level. But beyond those two, I mean, these guys are without a doubt first bout Hall of Famers. This is a guy that had 12 and a half sacks this year. And people like myself around the world are calling this guy washed. And that's not an indictment on him. It's actually a compliment to how high his freakazoid ceiling was at his peak because 12 and a half sacks is still phenomenal in 2022. But he's retired. What do you guys think? San Francisco, Arizona, all your thoughts. Well, well, he gets two sacks in this game. This game was somewhat competitive up until the third quarter started here, and then it all went downhill. So he got two sacks and an ass-kicking for his retirement uh, going away party. What I thought was cool for those of you that were watching uh, the hard knocks here for Arizona, the final two stadiums that J.J. Watt has yet to play in were the final two games of his NFL career, which I thought was kind of cool. Wow, that's an awesome stat. Good find. It found me. So it's kind of bittersweet to see one of the best to ever do it to finish his career, even in, in an elite game, nevertheless. You know, J.J. will be missed. I hope he doesn't come back because if he does, it's going to be the terrible nightmare that Wally spoke into existence off camera. Um, as, you know, I, 
I was looking this up earlier. J.J. Watt, is, he was straight-up dominant, and I interrupted Wally earlier and said he had 20 sacks in two separate seasons. I, you know, if if the all-time leader in sacks is 200 with Bruce Smith, how many do you think J.J. Watt had? Um, okay. I would say 163. 114.5, which to me screams wow. how – how bad his injuries, like how yeah. many injuries he had in multiple consecutive years, because realistically he's like 10 sacks from being top 20 all time. He's at 34 right now, but Von Miller's ahead of him by seven, seven sacks, nine sacks. And I would say JJ Watt was 10 times more dominant than Von Miller. And I say that, not so lightly because when JJ Watt was at his peak, he was getting a sack and a half a game plus a fumble recovery, three batted balls down. Like he was literally, and then he scored a touchdown on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. Like he was literally an entire off, like an entire defense on his own. But like I looked at that sack sack and I was like, that can't be real. Like, and then you go back and you're like, oh, well, he had quite a few years where he was just not playing because he was hurt. That makes me wonder what if, even though you're not, you should never do that. It just makes me wonder what if. Well, you also have to put into account. I remember one specific season. I was, I was blown away, particularly because I was in an anatomy class. So I already kind of knew what they're talking about, but he essentially tore all of his main muscles in his legs and in his abdomen and played for eight games through it. Like the dude is like, not only the games that he missed, but the games that he, like the amount of games that he played injured, where maybe if he was even a little bit 10 or 15% more healthy, he would have gotten another half sack, sack and a half added on to what his total was whenever it was. So it gives you that Gronkowski type of deal. Like at least me, I can't give him the best ever. It's we're more or less of doing it based off what his trajectory would have been if he didn't get injured all the time. All right. A couple things, because first of all, we haven't mentioned it yet. And I think that should be said. What he did after Hurricane Harvey in Houston is worth bringing up 100 out of 100 days. Unbelievable human being. He gets a little shit from the media and people because he's a little corny, and that's okay because, it, it, you know, he's a good person. If your biggest indictment is you're a little kind of like cringy at times, we're all going to be thrilled with that. But he's a good human being. Hurricane Harvey proves it. Like or how he answered that and how he went to Bell and raised hundreds of millions of dollars, whatever it was, it was like a ridiculously high number. But what I wanted to bring up real quick, I know this is supposed to be in uh, email, so my bad hand up. But you guys know where my uh, reservations are with guys like Matthew Stafford and Matt Ryan in the Hall of Fame, and guys like JJ Watt, and talking about the sack numbers, David. It's part of the reason why. Where I am, I hope you guys can understand it, where, like, J.J. Watt is not top 20 in sacks. He is statistically not on a level of some of these other guys, but their peaks were so bright and at such an incredibly high level that that's where the difference sometimes is for me with, like, a J.J. Watt and Matt Ryan. I know they're completely different positions. We don't have to get in this conversation right now, but, like, from the people at home, my whole point is that, if you are the top of your craft for a few years, 
it should be celebrated. If you want to get into the the consistency in celebrating that too, I'm fine with it. That's just a person or a personal bias, I guess, one way or another. But that's where I'm at. I just wanted to point that out to the world. The Los Angeles Chargers end their season with a loss up in Mile High, where the Broncos come out 31 to 28. And Brandon Staley is just praying to get fired if it's horrible fourth down calls or playing his starters in a game that didn't matter when your seating wasn't going to count. And then you have Mike Williams carted off the field here for a back injury. Update on that. Neg- uh, x-rays ended up being negative. It's more of a back contusion that uh, Brandon Staley believes that Mike Williams is going to be able to get back to practice this week, which is good. But man, Brandon Staley has got to be just clenching his fists like the Arthur meme. Like, dude, what do I have to do to get fired around here? Cause at this point it really seems like he's, He's purposely going out of his way to do it. Sunday's decision to play all those defensive players and starters, nonetheless, was more offensive to football than the fourth down call in Cleveland earlier this year. You said it. This is like career suicide. I get being aggressive, but I'm over the Brandon Staley experiment. Completely done with it. Get Sean Payton in there. Anyone. I don't want to think about Sean Payton with that offense. Anyways. I'm with you guys. Staley's terrible. Uh, I don't think he's going to make it through the offseason. I really don't. If he does, that would be a shocker and a mistake for the organization. But that being said, I'm I'm also kind of weary of how the Broncos can suddenly score more than 16 points after firing the head coach. I'm, I don't know. Is it a flash in the pan or was coaching just horrific all season long in, a dif- in addition to Russ's bad cooking? Split on it. So be it then. Let's go to Dallas at Washington. Dallas gets blown out. Dak Prescott has been downright atrocious for the last month, and it's going to kill him in the playoffs if he doesn't get it together. I don't think they're frauds, but they absolutely aren't going to win a game with bottom-tier performances from a mid-tier quarterback. Like, it's just – it's not going to happen. He's the RC Cola version of the NFC version of Josh Allen. He's just – when he's at a high level, the team is a Super Bowl contender. When he is not protecting the football, the team is an eight or a nine win team. I don't know if I'm ready to completely hammer the panic button, but the last month is a huge concern going into the postseason. I just got to believe if they get it right against an overmatched Tampa Bay team, maybe we get more the November Dallas Cowboys. I think it's more than just Dak that deserves some of this credit. I think a, a team as a whole is just, they look bad. You're giving up 23 to Houston Texans. You're giving up 40 to the Jacksonville Jaguars that are hot now. Yes, I agree. But then you turn around and give up 34 to the Eagles. This team doesn't look good. Ever since we've been kind of talking highly about them and what they could do, they've just been going downhill. And Dak Prescott, seventh straight game with an interception. Talk about putting your money on the line for him to throw an interception against the Buccaneers. I'm going to be one of those people. It's Dallas is, they're just doing it. They're limping into the playoffs. This, this is a first round exit written all over it. Keep it in the division, wrap it up here in the email section. The Philadelphia Eagles cap, not only the NFC East division, but they lock up the number one seed for the NFC. Hurts with only 57 completion percentage with an interception in his return. I know this game didn't matter for Philly, 
as they locked it up in their playoff bound. But should we be, should we be looking into this a little bit? Talking about how Joe Burrow had a sub 60% against the Ravens. Should we not look into no, this? No, no, you don't worry about either one. This is another example of a game that this was played out for formality's sake. The game didn't matter. If I mean, I, I know it's at the point of the season where you can't say if he plays bad next week, well, then we'll worry because there might be no next week after. But you play all year to get the bye. I'm not going to panic about getting the bye. Celebrate this achievement, Birds fans. Go get yourself your two wins away from the Super Bowl. Don't lose the sight of that. Struggling or not, you're two wins away. Look, I'm glad Hurts could get a warm-up game out of the way, but that has to be what it is. He needs to return to form in two weeks because if not, the Eagles could be a surprise exit. I'm I'm also a little concerned that they let the Giants B-teamers give them a semi-scare. That gives me a little cause for concern. I still think this team is complete top to bottom. But I hope to God that a bye week and and suddenly Jalen Hurts returns to form and, and this team returns to form. How about Kenny Galladay getting a touchdown? I want to say it's the first Mannequin of his, man. I want to say it's the first of his Giants uh, tenure, but I don't know if I'm right on that. At least it, first this year. Right. I don't think he played until this game this year. If you told me if you didn't if you told me he didn't have a down of football until this final game, I wouldn't be shocked. Frankly, that is almost more cause for concern for the Eagles that you let Kenny Galladay get a touchdown. The only reason I know he's played certain snaps this year, because there was a game earlier in the season, it was hilarious, where I think he ran one or two routes and Dayball saw him and said, get him the fuck out of here. Like, that is, like, if you're running one or two routes in a game and your head coach is saying, oh boy, we, we got to pull this guy. Yeah, we got problems. We got problems. Okay, for the record, Kenny Galladay's two seasons in New York. He has 43 receptions. Elite. For 502 yards. Wow. And his lone touchdown yesterday. Hell yeah. So he had 40 receptions for 500 yards last year. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 37 for 521. He was 681 and one. That looks like a bad Devontae Adams game. That was like the first quarter of a Devontae Adams yards. game. <laughs> God, that is bad. That is bad. That's going to wrap us up with this. Could have been covered in the email. Let's get over to the week 18 recaps. So these games actually meant something. We had some teams that had to say goodbye, some teams that surprised us. Before we hop into it, we want you to know this week 18 recap is brought to you by Abby Turner Creative, your one-stop shop marketing agency specializing in branding, high-end photography, fashion, and more, especially if you're our age where it feels like there's a wedding, baby pictures, graduation, you name it, they're happening. Abby Turner Creative is the only way to go. Check her out for yourself at abbyturnerphoto.com. That's Abby, A-B-B-E-Y, or check her out on Instagram at Sawdad and Sapphire. Again, that's abbyturnerphoto.com. We had the first game here the AFC, for the AFC South crown where the Tennessee Titans go to Duval and lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars 20-16. to 16. Josh Dobbs is your quarterback. What were you expecting? Jacksonville now now riding a five-game winning streak heading into the playoffs here. This was wild. But how much did you enjoy the Titans losing their seventh straight and getting knocked out of the playoffs here? I didn't enjoy it because I, I just think the, the, the Titans' downfall remains lack of consistency at quarterback. So, like, if Tannehill's healthy the whole season, all 17 games – I don't think they choke away the playoffs. 
I I think they're that playoff team, but it, it's Ryan Tannehill, so they're not going to win anything. I just I don't think they choke it away if he plays all 17 games. Um, as for the Jaguars, uh, you know, happy to see them pull off a late season surge to win the division and make the playoffs. It's a true testament to uh, Peterson and, and Trevor Lawrence. And holy shit, is it a fucking knock on Urban Meyer? But yeah, I, I, I was going to ask how bad does how yeah. bad does Urban look right now? I mean, that's I he's not high, I don't think he's hireable ever again. But another college program is going to give him a shot. But that's neither here nor there. Wally, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, it becomes the question of what do you deem unhirable? Because if it's about wins and losses, there's definitely a college that's going to be thrilled to have him. It's just a matter of do you go that route or do you kind of steer clear now, <laughs> given everything that's happened over the last couple of years? But this feels like a major obstacle that the Jaguars were able to get over. The fact that they were able to get this win when everybody on earth has been writing it in Sharpie that they were the AFC South champion the last three weeks. I know it's Josh Dobbs, but you have to go out and win the game still. They kept Derrick Henry in check. And realistically, Josh Dobbs, good for him. I think he earned himself a backup deal for life now. He looked pretty good in that game. I know the sack came and he fumbled and Josh Allen returns it for the win. Really don't blame Josh Dobbs. If anything, I thought it was a little over-aggressive on the offensive play calling. And you got to see Todd Downing get the, the ax today, possibly because of it. Not a lot to take away outside of the fact that Duval was exciting on Saturday night. That was an electric atmosphere. And considering now, you're going to have them hosting Justin Herbert and the Chargers that is so exciting. You have two of the young premier quarterbacks in the AFC against each other for the right to pretty much, you'd imagine, face off against Patrick Mahomes at Arrowhead. The AFC is in a great spot right now. The, the quality of quarterbacks, unbelievable. And we're, we're in for a real treat on, like, I think, Saturday night. Does anybody remember off the top of their head when the Jags play. I think it might be Saturday night, but I might have made I that think, up. I want to say that it's the opening game of the playoffs. I thought no, that was Seattle and no, San Francisco. It's eight fifteen Saturday. Wally's right. Okay. All I know is shocker. Like the Cowboys. Shocker. The Cowboys and the and the Buccaneers are playing on Monday night. Who would have ever thought that? Yeah, it was actually. I know we're getting sidetracked, but looking at the schedule when it was announced. I don't know what I made of it. I was surprised that the Bengals-Ravens was at 815, especially when we haven't seen Lamar. If Lamar was playing, I thought that was a prime Sunday night game. But if that's Tyler Huntley or Anthony Johnson or whatever his name is, Anthony Brown, I think. What game are you replacing it with, though? The only game that's going to be close is Cowboys-Bucks, in my opinion. I don't, like, I don't think any of these games are going to be as close as maybe one would think. Well, I guess part of it would turn into who's starting quarterback for the Dolphins as well. Exactly. Because if it's Tua, yeah. then that's definitely a better option than a right. Tyler Huntley-led Ravens. But uh. I think that they put this on here expecting Lamar to be back. And there's been a bunch of talk about how they're saving Lamar for the playoffs because they were able to do enough early on in his injury that they were able to squeak by and still get in the playoffs. Are they saving wow. Lamar for the playoffs wow. or is Lamar saving himself for that big old contract they're going to give him in free agency? Lamar is saving himself for the playoffs so he can get a big old contract in free agency. It's kind of like a one-and-done type deal. 
So we're not buying into the whole swelling in the knee thing, or is that? Are we thinking that's a little bit of a PR move to keep everybody happy? He's going to play through just for the love of the game. If you would think he'd play he play through it before this week, I cannot tell you how much I hope he doesn't play through it, and I hope he doesn't play this playoff game, so I get to watch organizations just shit themselves on how much they have to pay him to come play for him. Can't wait till he's a Raider. Can they afford him? They can't afford to fire. Well, that's the thing. Right that's now. the thing. If they could afford him, tell me that's not like Mark Davis. Like, uh, that's right, right up, up his alley. alley. Yeah. yeah, that's right up your alley for sure. Well, well we have the oh, 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 is that the New England Patriots go to Orchard Park, get their ass spanked, and let's be real here. We all knew this was going to happen. The game after the Demar Hamlin incident here, almost a calendar week. Buffalo wins thirty-five to twenty-three, and of course. Like every storybook beginning, you always hear a storybook ending. What do they do? First kickoff of the NFL Sunday, we take it right back to the crib. Naheen Himes, the newly acquired running back, kick return specialist from the Colts here. Not only one, but he ends up doing twice in this game. But he starts it off with a 96-yarder, and the whole place erupts. And it was awesome. One thing I want to say before I toss it over, I think Josh Allen's elbows A-OK. He was dropping bombs in this game, including that 49-yarder to Stephon Diggs, which had the whole house of mine going ape shit because we all had Stephon Diggs anytime touchdown score, so that helps. Yeah, this game kind of went exactly how I expected. Buffalo played hard and motivated. Trey White only allowed one catch for 10 yards and had an interception. Diggs was a stud. Allen played well. Just a full team performance, and that's what I've been looking for for the Bills to give them that that. I, it the Super Bowl favorite title, even though I'm I'm not even sure I'm there for their AFC odds. I was going to ask you that because I know you've been, I think out of everyone, you've been the most wish-washy on them just because of how Josh Allen's been playing. But it's, it seems like the last couple, I guess, you know, the last couple games, he has looked pretty decent. He's starting to get that confidence back in him that they can be, again, not fully committing to the AFC, but they can make a run like you thought we could week one after the LA game. They're, they're still my second favorite in the AFC, but we'll get into that later. It's hard for me to take negatives from this game. This was such an emotional venue and such an emotional game that it's hard to really get too much. Like I, Josh Allen threw another red zone interception in this game. Leads the league. He's had a lot of problems on the plus side of the field. That's a concern. But with how emotional that game was, I, I'm willing to almost give everybody a pass. Because you're pressing so hard. You want to do so much for DeMar Hamlin. And that was really, once this game was over, that it was like a relief that the Bills won. Because it was just like, it, it wanted to be a celebration for three hours. You could feel the Bills fans wanting to just celebrate with DeMar in spirit. And the fact that you had people sending videos on Twitter of themselves screaming we love you Damar!" at the game. And DeMar, like, I love you guys too. You mean so much to me. Like, it was like, like tear jerking all day. It was just an awesome day for Bills fans. And thank God they won. Thank God the Bengals won. I know that the Bengals fans are still a little bitter about how things went, but this was as close to as good it could have gone with everybody still kind of holding on and not the Bengals or Bills losing home games. No, I rambled a lot. It's just awesome game, guys. Oh, but but one last thing. Let's talk about the negative for a second. Mac Jones, do we believe 
he'll be a Patriot next year. There's a lot of buzz, not only with the fan base, but with local media up there. I mean, there was a stretch in this game that he went 17 of 17 for almost 300 yards or almost 200 yards in three touchdowns on Sunday. Like, there's the moments you can see it. What are you guys doing if you're New England? I don't understand why he'd want to get up. It's 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 so funny the way the NFL fandom works. Like, these guys were ready to claim him as the next Brady, you know, 11 months ago. And now we look into it and they're ready to put his head on a stake and get him the hell out of there. You know, these Patriots fans are quick to forget what their life was prior to the Bill Belichick and Tom Brady era. Like, they could just hand out all these quarter. I mean, hell, I mean, you even had – even had homeboy in there before Drew Bledsoe, who's doing pretty solid. But don't forget what your life was before that. So for them to just be all over him with a lot of things that were going on between his ankle injury, slow start. He had Matt Patricia calling the offense. I mean, it's just a shit show. I don't think that you're setting up this kid for success necessarily. And even if you do, these are the types of glimmers that you want to see from your quote-unquote franchise quarterback or not-so-franchise quarterback, depending what Patriots fan you talk to. But, you know, they want the zappy hour. They want Mac Jones. I say just get an offensive mind in there. Now it's only going to be his third offensive coordinator in three years. We've never given that excuse to anybody before, right? Why are we not giving it to Mac? Let Just let the kid grow, give him an offensive coordinator, an actual offensive coordinator, and I think that he'll be just fine. I don't think he's going to be the world beater that Tom Brady was, but I think that he can – he can be that he can top be solid. 12, top 15. Yeah, I'm with you. You can't give up on him until you get a real offensive coordinator in there, but we'll see if that actually happens. Well, question. Could either of you, going back to your point, Stephen, about how spoiled Patriot fans are, can either of you name a starting quarterback for the New England Patriots, excluding Matt Castle, excluding Brian Hoyer, like for like week 18, stuff like that, before Bledsoe? Is there anybody? That you can name pre-2000 Patriot quarterback? Because I don't know if I can. Not at all. Like, maybe Vinny Testaverde if he was there, and I don't even know if he was there. But that's my point. Like, they're they're so quick to forget (laughs) how bad it is when you don't have Tom Brady. It's not easy. That's why Tom's going to come back for a year, put Mac underneath his wing, and they're off. And they'll just go off. Doug Flutie. They did. Excellent call. Excellent call. I couldn't remember his name. That's why it took he so had long. A drop, he had of, the drop kick. Yeah, there. that's all I could think of was the drop <laughs> kick field goal. And I'm like, dude, what the hell was his name? That's Doug great, Lee. though. But, but that's my but point. Like, it's a rugby kick. That was like in the 80s, though, wasn't it? Was no, I think that was even like – I think that was actually like 90 – late, late 90s. But, like, there's not a lot of teams. Is My point is – most teams you can say name a pre 2000s quarterback and you can definitely name a couple new england's just a weird place where they went from being snake bitten to royalty with one draft pick want to talk about royalty to snake bitten the los angeles rams finally get the wow what a segue I, I I credit you to that as well uh, the rams lose 19 to 16 to the seattle seahawks who ended up Getting into the playoffs office, Baker Mayfield throwing an interception in overtime to set up the eventual game winner here. And the Rams, it, it's kind of looking like Sean McVay is going to be out of there. There's more rumors circulating that this he might step away from the game a little bit. But before we get into the Rams and what's going to happen in the offseason, because they have a lot that they need to think about, Wally, 
Your Pro Bowl quarterback, Geno Smith, is headed to the playoffs. The guy that you backed out so much. I think now we've been giving you flowers the whole year, but now you can officially receive those flowers. Stop and smell them. Do whatever you want. Your Geno baby is in the playoffs. You said it, and I'm not going – I'm not rubbing it in. I've said this like 100 times on the show in the last few months. You guys are Geno disciples now. You were converts, so I am not talking to you. But this was so refreshing. I know that for negative reasons, we'll get into the next game, Steve, and I do feel bad for you individually, for my buddies in Wisconsin individually. But I, I it's a really awesome story that we get Geno. What sucks – is that Chino is facing a team that his Seahawks have gotten just bullied by two separate times this year. And bullied isn't even a harsh enough word for it. They've been dominated. So now your reward for getting this playoff appearance is to go to San Francisco to arguably play the best team in the NFL. That's tough. So that's not going to work. So what my moment you're talking of, Stephen, is I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to do the old-fashioned, what you see in sports movies, where I'm standing on the football field at midfield with my hands in my pockets. Nobody's in the building. The lights are on. But I'm standing there just like turning around, looking around, and Gino just comes up and, and puts his arm on my shoulder and he just goes, you didn't write back, bud. You didn't write back. And then we just hug and cry a little bit. and. We don't talk like about Tom. what happens at Saturday at 4.30. That's all I'm going to say. You just cuddle him like it's Tom Brady and his 16-year-old kid. I basically treated him like Tom Brady, so I guess, yeah, I, I guess I will. we never brought that up. That was, that's horrifying because I can <laughs> – You can see it. You close your eyes. You can so see it. Horrifying. Wait, now, yeah, wait. Now, that's pedophilia, right? Well, how yeah. old do you think I am? <laughs> old enough. <laughs> but anyway. Pedo- whatever. I'm done. Anyways. Damn it, Steven. Smith, playoff starter. My fucking my, how far we've come since the entirety of his career before 2022. You know, I'm happy for the Seahawks, happy for Gino. Glad they squeaked one out against the Rams and overcame Jalen. Happy Ramsey. for me too. Thank you. I appreciate it, David. <laughs> uh, Baker Mayfield, on the other hand, holy fuck. He just had another one of those, man, what happened to you performances. And it makes me sad. And I just hope that McVay can work on him in the offseason and get him back to the quality player I know he can be. But God, man, these performances just every time I just think back to like year one, year two, year three, like, man, there were so many like glimpses of greatness. And now it's just gone. What sucks too is that you get very few times in football where you can actually say, on one individual play, if there is a better quarterback, we win this game. And that interception he threw in overtime, it was a pass that he threw and it brought rain. That thing was a loopy airmail where he has a wide open, I think 2-2 Atwell running down the sideline. And if he just hits him on the spot, the Rams are winning the game and the Detroit Lions are in the playoffs. But because he looped the ball up, left it in the air for five seconds, it was a punt. And the game was over as soon as the Seahawks caught that ball. I, I'm with you, David. I was uh, 
there were some moments the last couple weeks that we got to be really excited about Baker, whether it be against the Raiders, whether it be against the Broncos. But then there's other moments where you just kind of see the last season Browns Baker and this season Panthers Baker. And it's just like, what the fuck happened? Do you think that he did? Like, what do you think his life is going to be now? Because I'm pretty sure he's going to be a free agent. I know the Rams kind of wasted a little bit on him just to get him off the waivers, but do you bring him back to be a backup? Do you let him, does he just go out of there and just kind of hope and pray that he lands as a backup contract? Like, what do you think is next for him now? Look, he's got to stay with the Rams. He's got to stay with a coach like McVay or go be a backup somewhere with a coach who, who can actually get his mechanics and get his mind right. I hope he stays with McVeigh in the Rams, uh, whether it be a backup or as their future starter. But I have a bad feeling he's going to take whatever, uh, wherever he can go to get the most likelihood in starting. And that might not be the Rams if Stafford comes back. I don't really know, but I don't know. I, I worry about his career if he doesn't stay as a backup with the Rams. Well, let's talk the Rams because Jordan Rodriguez of the athletic she's really good uh for the rams she's a, a fantastic follow but she's reported that sean mcveigh has kind of been flirting with a similar i guess career decision that sean payton made where he would go do tv for a year maybe two maybe three and then come back, but more or less take a break. If that happens, then Baker's in a lot of trouble here too. And because the Rams, they have no draft picks. So what happens if McVay goes and does TV? You have two options. You wait for McVay to come back or you trade him and you get picks. Similar to what happened with John Gruden, similar to what people are talking about with Mike Tomlin before the year. If that happens, I mean, shit. I mean, Baker's the problem is, is he's proven that he's good enough to be a backup. It's just who's willing to take on a backup with baggage. Even go a step further. If Sean McVay goes out, what does that whole team do? What does Aaron Donald want to do? Jalen Ramsey, you know what the character he can be when the team is losing, you know, what that's going to look like. What about Cooper Cup? Matt Stafford, I mean, there's a lot of question marks even outside of Baker Mayfield where he is the – no one's going to care about what he's doing because they have so much that they got to worry about. Bobby Wagner, who just signed there. You know, Allen Robinson, who just – there's a lot of pieces that can go in there that all of a sudden you might have to blow it up or start trading these guys off for first-round picks, even if you do want to wait for Sean Payton. But this could be bad. And it's so funny, like classic L.A. Like you sell your soul to win the Super Bowl, you win the Super Bowl, and you're like – all right, cool. I'm going to go do something else. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You owe, you owe me eternity here, bud. I don't know what you think you're doing. It's crazy what 11 months does. So if McVeigh doesn't stay, the whole team's a fire sale. Like, you still get – you can still get two to three firsts for Donald. You can still get two to three firsts for Ramsey. You could still get a first. Super Cup. I don't – you're not going to get as much for I a think receiver. two. Yeah, I, you could probably get two, but it's probably like – a first, maybe maybe another first, maybe like a second in addition to a first. Yeah. But you're How looking old at is a, he? He's got to be around Devontae's age, right? He's younger. So. He's younger. Devontae got a first and a second. Why wouldn't he get two first? Because I'm pretty sure I, he's I'm just saying 
you're comp- like he probably would get oh, a no. first or second because you're looking at him like you're looking at a star receiver like Devontae. Here's what you know, here's here's the last trade we did. And if you're just emptying your roster and you're getting two or three for pinnacle Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, like I don't know. You could you could trade a, a boatload of those players, get a fuck ton of draft picks and rebuild in like two to three years pretty easily if you hit on your quarterback. Fair enough. And Cooper Cup is 29, turning 30 in June. So good call. I thought he was a few, I thought he was like three years younger. Yeah, he's basically the same. And more or less, my whole point is you would imagine if you are the Rams and less need, the immediate benchmark is the Devontae deal. You could even argue the Tyreek Hill deal because that happened after and that obviously reset the market too. But, well, and you also, and you, the Cooper Cup has already got, he's got a super cheap contract. I want to, I'd really have to look at it and see when he's due, but that could also go into play as well. It's like, hey, you're not paying him as much as these guys, but you're going to get arguably the same, if not more, production for him. So why not give me two first? True. But then do you do what the Raiders did or what the Dolphins did and immediately trade and re sign him for a new deal to be more respectful? True. Okay. Good call. You're so smart. You're so smart. I love this. is fun. This I'm has not. been a fun show today until yeah, now, Steven. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, You're not. So, all right. How do you want to go about this, Steven? We're, we'll defer to you. Do you want to say your piece first or do you want to? I'll, and- I'll, I'll wrap it up. Okay. Then that's perfect because we'll be, what's that stupid ice cream flavor, guys, where there's chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry? Neapolitan. Neat. Wow, look at you locked and loaded. Big That's actually not a flavor. I love you. There's three flavors. Come well, on, you know, Neapolitan. I, I knew what he meant. He knew what I meant. Come on. This is a Neapolitan podcast for the next five minutes because we're going to throw it to David first, who's going to be our blue flavor. We're going to have Steven is our cheese flavor, and I'm going to be the guy in the middle that breaks this up. So let's go to the to our resident Lions bandwagoner, David Claybin to tell us about this game and your thoughts on this game. Buddy, it is such a travesty that the Lions aren't in the playoffs. It is so depressing to me that Dan Campbell and company, who are easily the most likable and fun team to watch in the NFL right now, that they don't get to play in the playoffs because they kind of deserved it after winning so much in the second half of the season. But the Lions did a great job playing spoiler to the Packers and that was as I anticipated, by the way. Pat my own bet. Uh, <laughs> go, go Lions. I cannot wait for their offseason. I think they are in the best position of any NFL team going into the offseason. They could turn it around faster than anyone, but they could also flatline if they don't hit, if they don't do what they should be doing. Um, as for the Packers, Aaron Rodgers was doing his best to create media meltdowns by denying Jamal Williams a jersey swap, saying, I think I'm going to hold on to this one. I hate Aaron Rodgers so much that I cannot wait for him to send it to retirement. I like rejoiced when he threw his horrific interception late in the fourth quarter to essentially seal it. So I've got to be the middle bridge guy here. Uh, I'll do my best. So yes, that was a, uh, first of all, from a Lions perspective, I completely agree with the fact that this team has such a bright future. When you and I did an individual podcast with the two of us, about six, seven weeks ago, you and I came back and were apologizing to Steven because we're like, dude, while you were gone, we went a little overboard. 
and had like lions talk for like 10, 15 minutes. And this almost feels like validation that we were good to do that because you and I were talking about this and we felt this and the lions are a team that has a bright future for the longest time. The NFC North has been Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, and perhaps a challenger once every three years, but beyond those three years, it's the Packers division. It's, it's weird to kind of be entering an off season, or at least for most teams that feels that the NFC North is a little bit more in play than we've seen in a long time. And I think that all four teams probably go into next season thinking that we have a shot to do this Packers. Your goal in the off season is get Aaron Rodgers back. He did not look great. I get it. He kind of had a little fall off this year. I'm not willing to just completely give up on him being an elite quarterback. Oh, God, but I, I will go, Stephen, let's throw it to you. So, obviously, you enter this game, win and you're in. I know that that part is, makes this a little tough. But overall, uh, whether this be thoughts on Detroit, whether your thoughts on the future, that's something I also want to get is your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers. They, Mike Tirico was kind of juicing it up last night that that was his last game, maybe ever. What, what, I, yeah. I don't even know where to start. What, what do you want to talk about tonight? Yeah, I don't even, so first off for the Lions, I mean, that they came out swinging. They came out hungry, and I think it was led by Jamal Williams, you know, former Packer. Team didn't want him back. Be honest to me, I wanted him back. I don't know about the team. Um, and he just comes in and just has been sending haymakers all day. Shout out to Jamal Williams as well. First touchdown score. Got it on the odds boost at plus 900. So that made it a little, that made it a little bit easier. Man, I made it a little bit easier, but you know, shout out to Detroit. They're fun. That Jamison Williams kid is going to be a problem once he gets a, a full off season underneath his belt, stops the drama already bitching about not getting the ball enough. I was talking about it with Kyle Butts and that he's already been doing that. And you can see him already complaining on the sidelines last night, literally right when Butts and texted me that it's all I saw. Like they kept flashing him and he was just complaining about not getting the ball. It's like, dude, know your worth, but you know, they have some serious questions about what they want to do do with Jared Goff in this offseason. I think they need a lot of, I wouldn't say turnover, but they need to do a lot of things different on the defensive side of the ball. I thought Aaron Glenn had those boys playing great the last few weeks. But overall in the season, if you make them, if you had them playing at the level they've been playing the last few weeks, the whole year, this could be a team that didn't need this game to get in or, you know, they ended up not getting in. But this could have been a game that didn't matter in a completely different way for them. So, for the Green Bay side of it, I mean, talk about just shitting your pants every single opportunity. I mean, every time you think that you can control the game, you don't. Aaron Rodgers, four, what, four interceptions against this Lions team. You throw three of those in the end zone. You couldn't get anything done in the end zone outside of one scoring play through the last two games against Detroit. I mean, it's embarrassing. If you take these two games alone and you look at how bad they were, it doesn't matter what the rest of the season looked like. If you win these games, if you win these two games in Detroit, you're in the playoffs, just bottom line. And you needed to play just a slight, slightly better than you did before because it's not like you didn't have enough talent to win the game in, in here. You very much did. You just pissed down your leg, which feels to be like a microcosm of the identity of the team this year. And it's been extremely frustrating, which something I've been saying is how much of a, pussy I think Matt LaFleur is and I kind of walked that back entering this year and I was on the full Matt LaFleur is going to be a stud coach and then he just went right back into that doghouse for me 
and you can tell just if if you look at if you look at him yelling at Quay Walker, like he just looked like such a dweeb. And also a side note, Quay Walker, what the fuck is this dude? From Devontae Adams pushing a cameraman to Quay Walker, a rookie, not only pushing one, but he has pushed two non-coach player staff members of an organization the past two months. Dude gets no flack. Has, I haven't heard any anyone yelling at him, but it's just unacceptable. The dude looked like a little crybaby walking down the tunnel, pounding, pounding like his mom just yelled at him in front of all of his friends while they were playing hopscotch. It was, well, it was embarrassing. Well, 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 hold up. So I'm glad you brought up Quay Walker and Matt LaFleur. We'll get into both of them too. But so the story, first of all, after who was it that went down? It was obviously a Georgia teammate. I remember them saying it was that. A, it was a Georgia teammate that went down and like, who he was, was checking on him. And I, I can't remember who it I was. I can't either. But, but Quay Walker, he was checking on a former teammate from last year. And obviously got pushed. So that part, I understand his side, but it happened this week with DeMar Hamlin. Like, what the hell are you thinking? Exactly. That's what I I wanted to know. So selfish. What is the Green Bay fandom like? Because you said it. This is the second time this year. Is this like a, all right, dude, two strikes, like third you're out? Or like, he's obviously, like, where are you at? That's that's the last thing that I've been seeing. That's the last thing I've been seeing on Packers Twitter. It's all about, weeping where's what's Aaron going to do which sure. we'll, which we'll get into here momentarily but I haven't seen a lot of it and to even say go watch the video again fucking Devontae wide throws a shoulder into this dude yeah he wasn't hiding yeah he, he was acting like it was like a bar brawl like these like these drunk college kids are like coming up and like ready to start fisticuffs but it yeah, was the bad medical guys like dude I'm out here to freaking help your buddy out like what the hell are yeah. you doing so it's just it's just stupid. And then for Aaron's future, I, I don't, let's not read too much into it. You know, for all of you non-Packers fans are really maybe not that invested into football outside of your own team. Stop texting me asking if, if you've paid attention, he's done this the last three off season. He just wants the attention. Oh, he's losing. Oh, he, he, all he does is bitch and complain about how he needs a game in Lambeau. And we need one here. We're going to, we have the home field advantage. You don't do anything in Lambeau. You cause drama. You're not. You're being talked about in the negative way. But let's let's just have me get talked about, regardless. As long as it's not negative about my play, let's do this. And for, I, I, of course, I want to keep him. I absolutely want to keep him. Alan Lazard's most likely gone. I think that, you know, I'm talking myself into potential trade options that Green Bay can do if they have salary cap. Maybe D Hop, you know, can become a cancer in our locker room maybe <laughs> cooper cup get, get ends up getting sold off in in the wildest of pipe dreams it's Devonte coming back for a reunion whatever it may be but aaron is there's too much money to be had for aaron and there's too much money for green bay to give aaron for them to move off and they, the same thing with matt lafleur too they just signed two contract extensions for the head coach and the quarterback i don't see them going anywhere outside of aaron possibly talking about retirement but i think with and i was talking to wally about this with Wally off camera, even without going to the playoffs, the run that he made with this team, I think it's going to kind of create not, you know, I wouldn't say a bond, but it's like, okay, we have enough pieces here where we can make that feasible. Let's get, we need like one or two other, I think honestly, like maybe three or four other, depending on what the veterans look like, they have a real chance, but I think that 
I think ultimately I want him back. Is he going to return back? It's going to really be dependent on what the other veterans on the staff are looking like and who's coming back. Bakhtiar is a huge question mark. I personally have been saying all year, I think Aaron Jones is gone after this year, not by choice, but just but because. Gabe and I are in your side. Let running backs walk. Like Josh Jacobs just led the, the league in rushing. Let him walk. Don't re-sign him. I was cool with letting him walk when I was like, let's let him walk, re-sign Jamal Williams for cheap, keep A.J. Dillon, then you have that. But I'm not ready that to fully give the keys to the cars to A.J. Dillon. And now I look like a fucking genius because, you know, Jamal Williams only just broke Barry Banner's single-season record for touchdowns for, De- for the Detroit franchise. And so we'll see. But would they have Aaron Jones on a cheap deal? I don't – he has enough to play. You don't give him the ball enough. You know he's got enough reps that he can play. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. I think it's just going to be an ugly, ugly offseason for Green Bay. Dude, I'm so happy you said that, though, because you I do remember you saying it on the pod. Jamal Williams reminds me a lot of Samaj P. Ryan, not in skill set necessarily, but in the regards that he is the number two running back in a pretty good stable of backs. And the Bengals, I think, would be more well-equipped to pay Samaj P. Ryan. Like, the Packers should be more equipped to pay A.J. Dillon because it's a lot easier to replace that guy that you're going to overwork young running back early on. But if you have that Tyrone Wheatley, the A.J. Dillon, the Samaj P. Ryan is another back, I think that's a great call. But, all right, Stephen and David, last thing, I know that we're going long, so last thing – Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson in the Lions offensive staff at the end of that game, calling the plays they did, it was second and 13 or 14. They have that hook and ladder to set up a third and four. They get it to fourth and one, go for it and throw the ball to win the game. I know it's easy to do it when you're eliminated three hours earlier, but Detroit, it just feels different right now. It's not like other regimes. It's not like other times. This feels like a Lions team that could be competing to win the North and could be playing for Super Bowls very soon with this staff. You're seeing the NFC North tide turn, right? We already kind of saw it with Minnesota winning the division here. We'll see what Chicago ends up doing over the next you know, six, seven months here in the offseason. And then you have what Detroit's going to be able to do here over, you know, over the offseason. They get a couple healthy players. Maybe they add another player or two. Maybe they maybe they make an immense defense or decision on the coaching staff that's really going to catapult them. And all of a sudden you have Green Bay not really knowing what they have. So all of a sudden, <laughs> what you were saying, it's Green Bay's division. Maybe once every, you know, once every leap year, you're going to have a team that comes in. Well, all of a sudden those three teams are, are kind of turning the page and Green Bay is going to be outside looking in here. Go Lions. And that will bring us to an end of another episode of Loss of Down. Shout out to our sponsors, Tabbies, Tabbies as well as AbbyTurnerPhoto.com. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, at Loss of Down, and Twitter, down underscore loss. Boys, do we have any hindsight 2020 picks for the national championship game that is half a quarter in already? God, bet Georgia. It's not looking good, boys. Oh, no. What's the score? I haven't even been watching. It's 10 nothing, but on the first drive, I don't like TCU. Just it, it looked like a college team playing a bunch of eight. Dude, it, oh. it looked bad. Like they had, like, I don't know who number 19 is for him. I'm assuming a tight end, but like that dude doesn't look fast. And he literally, like, you say that, boys, touchdown TCU. 
Let's go, Pops. I wanted passing. Fuck this, dude. Go I need the passing, but I also took a parlay where where Duggan scores anytime touchdown. So we're we're flying here. But I will say the first drive for TCU that made me say yikes was bad. I mean, it was bad. It literally dude. looked like a college football team playing a bunch of eighth graders in that first TCU drive. Well, like they let's look at Stacey's My thought was more or less, don't look now. But, guys, I'm pretty sure on Thursday's show, not a big deal. I'm pretty sure I had a ridiculous gambling week after being ice cold for 17 weeks to start the year. Don't let me get hot going into the playoffs. That's all I'm saying. Those are the most dangerous dangerous ones that are hot entering the playoffs, right, Wally? I just, I bet better in big games, you know? Like, I just, I'm a big game better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the week, oh, the week eighteen, those big games. That's what's going to catapult you. I'm Wally Burr. You're not <laughs> Wally Berg. Hey, also, last, last, last thing, and then we can wrap up. Sure, you guys saw Peyton Hillis rescued his two children uh, from drowning and was actually in critical condition and almost lost his own life. He is also recovering right now. Both his children are safe. Awesome NFL story. We're rooting for you, Peyton Hillis, as well. Hope you get well soon. Non-NFL story. Jeremy Renner had a horrific accident. I want to yeah, say it's been a brutal like start a snow plow or something. So he seems like he's – that's three for three on the miraculous recoveries. I like that. Let's knock on wood. Let's keep that going all, all in 2023. 2023 is a great year. Just don't watch sports. Or Jeremy Renner movies. <laughs> <laughs>